Greetings, and welcome to Luminous Listening in Troubled Times, a series part of the Listening to the Earth podcast. Today, I would like to tell you the origin story of the Listening to the Earth movement, which is an invitation to collectively tune in to the wisdom and power of nature during key political occasions and in our daily lives. This is actually my origin story, just one of the many stories which converged in 2019 when a group of environmental activists, policy advisors and teachers who share a passion for nature came together to found the movement. Listening to the Earth continues to be a collective adventure which is still in its infancy. Today, I would like to share what this movement is, but more importantly, what lies at the heart of this call to be listening to the earth. The adventure started in 2019, on the occasion of the United Nations Climate Summit, convened by the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Some of my friends were working on the preparations for the summit's nature-based solutions track, It was the first time nature figured so clearly on the agenda of such a meeting, traditional themes generally focusing on energy, transport, industry, agriculture, finance, and so on. When we met a few months ahead of the summit, I asked them how the preparations were going. I could see from the energy in the team and the looks in their eyes that they were intense and not easy. One of them shared out loud what was weighing on his mind. Hmm. How does one get politicians to care about nature? This question was not meant to start a conversation, but simply an expression of the team's preoccupations. The group dispersed, and I stood there, startled. How could anybody not care about nature? I wondered, but upon reflection, contemplating the scale, intensity, and in many cases irreversibility of the destruction of nature, evident in rampant deforestation, destructive mining, overfishing, overgrazing, intensive animal rearing, chemically supported monocropping on dead soils, plastic islands in oceans, my question got reversed. Does anybody care about nature? The next morning, during a meditation, an image came on the screen of my mind. I could see planet Earth from space, this beautiful blue marble, strewn with dots of light. These dots were interconnected with beams of light, each point intensifying as it connected to others. The beams converged towards one place, New York City where the summit was to take place later in September. I came out of my meditative state wondering, what if all the people who did care about nature, connected with the power of their intention, at the time of the summit, 
to mentally support its outcomes. Could the mysterious power of collective intention support a shift in politicians' mindset and heartset? I wouldn't want to be perceived as mystically naive in sharing this vision. I've been engaged sufficiently long in humanitarian and development projects in the field and policy-making at national and international levels to know the difficulty of bringing about change. I know the complexity involved in aligning a wide range of factors, many outside of our control, when seeking positive impact. But my heart told me that, at some mysterious, unnameable and invisible level, harnessing the heart power and intention of individuals and groups who care could, in some small way, play a supportive role. At least it wouldn't hurt. I shared this vision with a new friend, Elise Buckle, who was also involved in the preparations of the summit's nature-based solutions track. A long-time climate activist, she was quick to connect me to an amazing group of peers from across the world. I also connected with friends whom I knew would be enthusiastic, such as Myra Jackson, who has been working at the interface of science, environmental activism, policy-making and spiritual teaching for years, and Marie-Thérèse Maurice, who had founded the One Minute for Earth initiative a few years earlier. Some I had just met but seemed to be put on my path for this very purpose, namely Licia, who quickly became a close ally and dear friend. You can meet them by visiting the team page of the Listening to the Earth website. Within a couple of months, and no other resources than our commitment to this vision and the devotion of a couple of volunteers, we set up a website and started connecting with meditation groups as well as environmental organizations around the world. We invited them to mindfully connect to the Earth in support of the Climate Summit outcomes. James Lloyd, one of the leaders of Nature for Climate, offered a space for us to guide a meditation in the Nature Hub where organizations advocating for nature were meeting alongside the summit in New York. Myra Jackson guided the meditation in the Hub just as the summit opened in the UN building down the street. We were joined online by different groups and individuals around the world, including one gathered by Licia in the headquarters of the UN Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome. James had also suggested that all the events held in the Hub should start with a moment of mindful connection to the Earth. This meant taking a few minutes to breathe and mindfully connect to nature's wisdom be it with a short meditation, a story, poem, or image. There was a magical buzz in the various events organized on and for nature during and around the summit. The months of passionate hard work of all those involved in the nature-based solutions track, from civil society, government, to business, paid off. Nature is now clearly part of the policy discussion and action agenda on climate, Nature-based solutions have since become an increasingly common component of sustainable development efforts, even if there is still a lot to do for nature to be meaningfully respected and protected. Which is why this was also only the beginning for listening to the Earth. Members of the team, 
especially those who are regularly attending large political events on climate, such as the UNFCCC COPs, were passionate about this initiative because they know how stressful events like UN summits and COPs are. How can negotiators take mindful decisions on super complex issues when caught in a dizzying and draining array of meetings, many of them conflictual? We were convinced that taking a moment to reconnect with the core values that drive us, with our hearts, with the nurturing presence of nature, could inspire more compassionate and wise decisions. And so, we offer guided meditations and moments of mindful connection to the earth, most of them online, on various political occasions. For each UNFCCC COP, we prepare and share a COP meeting opener card, presenting a simple way of starting a meeting by connecting with the earth. The uptake, at least as we can monitor it, is more modest than we'd like until now. But we have a feeling that this invitation to be listening to the earth is spreading, maybe invisibly, but meaningfully. It is also comforting to feel that this initiative is far from being one of its kind. The importance of reconnecting to nature and bringing our hearts and intuition into our work is increasingly recognized. More than the measurable participation or uptake of our offerings, what counts is in the invitation at the heart of the call to be listening to the earth. When creating the movement, we debated whether to call it Listen to the Earth or Listening to the Earth. The latter felt more right, and Myra explained why very clearly. To listen is an action. To be listening is a state of being, a state of consciousness. It is a position of humility in which we remember that we are part of something much greater than ourselves, something which carries an immense wisdom, wisdom that our science merely describes but does not invent, a wisdom that created us and not the other way around. As Myra once told me, when a mother carries a child in her womb, she does seemingly nothing. And yet the magic of life unfolds, making the cells divide, assemble and organize. The life force flows, creating a whole new unique being. That is a process we humans do not control. We are fashioned by this wisdom. And yet, in our relationship with nature, we often have the arrogance of thinking we control it. We use it as a mere tool to satisfy our materialistic needs and desires, forgetting that this tool is actually our mother. And, like any good mother, she has a lot to teach us. The complexity and severity of crises we are facing as humankind are such that we cannot pretend to resolve them with the sole properties of our rational mind. It's going to take connecting to the source of that wisdom, with our minds, hearts, and souls. 
The crises we see are a reminder of the fundamental need to collaborate with nature. They are a call to shift from being mere consumers of nature to remembering we are its children and its caretakers. Indeed, the solution is not to blast away humans from the earth for it to thrive. Rather, there are countless examples that nature thrives best when humans nurture it in an intricate pattern of co-creation and reciprocal care. What form can listening to the earth take? Oh, so many. From observation and scientific exploration, to contemplation and asking nature for guidance, from caring for a garden to rituals of thanksgiving. The Listening to the Earth podcast offers a few examples of how inspiring individuals bring this practice in their daily life. I will also share my own explorations in future episodes of Luminous Listening in Troubled Times. So, stay tuned. Thank you.